Hey everyone, uh, good to be with you this evening wherever you're gathered. It's pretty amazing that we have technology that can ha make it so that we can all be together even as we're in various homes around the Newburgh area. Um, wherever you're at, uh, whoever's house you're at, go ahead and get out your Bible, get your phone out, get your actual Bible out, and uh, go ahead and flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, that's where we're going to be. Uh, this evening together. We're in um, our series for the month of March that we're calling uh, A Family Culture. And uh, really what we're doing is we're doing this, we've been using this language at the church for the past little bit of a family culture tune-up. Um, we're looking at things that we have really valued deeply at Saints Hill, but we just feel like we need to tune up or sharpen up just a little bit as a family for the month of March. Um, so a couple weeks ago, if you were at church, you'll remember, uh, we talked about the renewed mind, how important it is to think like God thinks about the world, to think like God thinks about ourselves, and to think like God thinks about himself, about who God is. Um, so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the second topic in our family culture series, um, and it's about how we speak to one another. If we know how to think correctly, then how do we take that and how do we actually speak correctly. And specifically, I want to talk about the prophetic and how we use the prophetic at Saints Hill and outside of Saints Hill and Newburgh, our jobs, our families, wherever else. Um, it was probably a couple years ago that I sat down to a dinner table with one of my good friends and the rest of his family. And I saw what happens when the prophetic is weaponized or used in a negative way, uh, just firsthand. Um, there, were, there were several um, people at the table, his parents, his siblings, and each one of them throughout the course of dinner began to share stories about what's been going on in their lives and their jobs. One person was sharing about a remodel that they were going through, and each person was met with, met with the same exact just lack of care. It's kind of like, oh, sure, sure, we already know about that, or that's never going to work. Things that were said, well, things were said like, well, in the past you've tried that, and how did that go for you? Um, talking over one another, and just really... A, a dinner table without any sense of honor, let alone prophetic insight for the people at the dinner table. And I remember I just kind of left feeling sort of depressed. No one encouraged each other. No one was for one another. A couple weeks later, I ended up getting together with the same friend. Uh, we, we got lunch. And I remember just telling him like, hey, I got to be honest with you. Here's what I saw at the dinner table. Here's what I saw in your family. Um, and hopelessly and in, in, a, in a pretty frustrated way, he agreed with me. And he said, yeah, I know. It's been that way really as long as I can remember. I then said to him, I said, well, what if every day as you're coming home from work, what if you ask God what he thought about just one of those people in your family? Just maybe it's, it's your mom or your dad or, or your brother. And as you're coming home from work, you're just asking God, well, what do you think about them? Give me something to encourage them and give me some kind of spiritual insight so that I can position myself correctly to, to speak that same thing over them when I show up. Even if nobody else is saying things encouraging to me or nobody else is asking God what, they, what he thinks about me, maybe I can be that person. And I began to encourage him, like, like what, would, what would happen? And he, he began to think and he thought, well, well, the first thing that would happen is that people would honor one another. Uh, there would be just a sense of dignity. There would be a sense of identity um, in, in the right place. The, he, the first thing that he really came to his mind was, people will finally be able to celebrate one another without feeling jealous of somebody else in the family doing better than maybe they were doing. And I, and I began to just, as we were talking about this, just say, you could be a secret agent for the kingdom, like behind enemy lines, so to speak, bringing God's thoughts into your home. 
As he began to think about this, he's like, I totally want to do that. This is what prophecy can do. What prophecy can do is it's like a drop of colored liquid into a glass of water. Before you know it, that one moment of that drop has spread out and dispersed to color the entire environment. At the core, prophecy is the sharing of the heart of God into a world that doesn't have hope. It's like a drop of color, a drop of kingdom color into the glass of water that is our culture or is your home or is your school or workplace. And before you know it, the entire thing is colored with the kingdom of God. Just like we've been talking about the renewed mind, prophecy is getting God's thoughts on a person or on a space or about a matter into someone's mind as you share it with them so that they begin to think like God about themselves, about a situation or an opportunity. It's like, could, could this reality be a possibility? I'm hearing this from this person. I'm, I'm hearing what they say that they're hearing from God, or, or maybe they're not even saying they're hearing it from God. I'm hearing this encouragement, and it's, it's beginning to make me doubt my doubt, to question whether, man, could that actually be possible in this space? And that's our goal as followers of Jesus, is seeding the world, planting little seeds of hope throughout our places that we interact with so that people could actually begin to think like God without knowing that they're thinking heaven on earth. I think this is why Paul is so adamant about prophecy. Look down at your Bibles. It says this in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Paul's speaking. He says this, follow the way of love. How do we follow the way of love? He says this, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. He singles it out. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But, verse 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. This language is really strong. I would like every one of you to prophesy. Okay, why? Why prophecy? If you're taking notes, write this down. Why prophecy? Um, I would put forth to you this evening that without prophecy we won't see much of the kingdom. Prophecy is the tool that God uses to strengthen, to comfort, and encourage. We read it right there in verse 3. In other words, prophecy is the tool that God uses to speak specifically to people who are facing the impossible. You're going through a rough relationship. There's somebody who's sick in front of you. This is pretty common these days. There's a task that's going to require unreasonable amounts of courage. There's a truth that needs to be told. And so what happens with prophecy is it's God coming alongside someone through someone else, through you, coming alongside that neighbor, coming alongside that family member, and beginning to speak the truth over them speak God's insights into their lives so that they can get courage again and they can actually change the circumstance that's in front of them. 
Because the prophetic gets into someone's mind about a matter or a person, it has the ability to change the actions of that person in a specific specific situation. Uh, prophecy has the ability to get us new ideas or creativity about justice, about a business that you may have, about your family, or about a church. Um, and those new ideas aren't coming just from the accumulated wisdom of human experience like everybody else has access to. They're coming from the mind of Christ. They're coming because we have a connection. We have an ability to actually think like God, to say, God, what do you think about this circumstance? What do you think about this situation? And actually get that wisdom, that heavenly wisdom into a scenario. I would argue this is how God makes history. He anoints people to see the world from his perspective and then to call that world into existence. That's what the prophetic does. Now, to be honest, over the past few months and really since the founding of our church, because prophecy has been such an important thing, something that we do our best to practice in every gathering, um, I've oftentimes heard some confusion. Um, I've, I've heard some curiosity uh, about the theology of the prophetic, what's kind of behind the way in which we practice the prophetic in our church. Is this something that I can do? Really? Little old me? Is it something that I can do in my home? Or are there risks to the prophetic? So I'm just going to run through um, some questions that I hear commonly asked about the prophetic and hopefully give you guys a really solid theological understanding of why we practice the prophetic the way in which we do in our church. So if you're taking notes, you should be taking notes, first of all, make sure that you write these things down because I think these are really important for us to get down into our hearts as a church. Uh, This is some of the sharpening up on our family culture that I think God wants to do. So the first question goes something like this. Is God really still speaking? Like, really? Is he really speaking? I know he spoke here, but is he really still speaking? And is he always speaking? Like, doesn't he have more important things to talk about? about than like, I see a river of flowing water for you and God wants you to have peace. Like, doesn't he have other more important things to address in the world? The question really is, is he still speaking? And I I need us to kind of think about this. If God isn't still speaking, then when did he stop speaking? When does the Bible say that God's voice would stop? being active in the world or coming to people in the way that we read all across the pages of the scriptures. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 gives us a little bit of a clue. Um, It says this, and you can just maybe jot down 1 Corinthians 13. You can visit it on your own time. Um, It says one day that prophecy will stop. It says this, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, that's really key, when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. How will we know when God stops speaking through prophets? When completeness comes, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, what does that mean exactly? Um, There has been a tradition in the church to interpret this passage to mean when the Bible is completed or when the canon is closed, that's completeness coming. But to even think of it that way, there's other questions that come up. Like, when was that? 
Was it when the canon was decided upon roughly in 400 AD? Was it when the New King James Version was, came out in English? What about the Catholic canon that includes the Apocrypha? What about that? Or what about the Can Council of Trent in 1546 for us Protestants, when we actually said, no, we're not gonna listen to the Apocrypha, that's not authoritative scripture, just the Old Testament and the New Testament. Those are all questions that are important, but I think the real problem is this. The Bible doesn't say that completeness means the biblical canon being completed. That's not what the Bible says. It's not what 1 Corinthians 13 says. And, and look, if the Bible being put together was the end of prophecy, look at this passage. What else would end? It says, it says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away when completeness comes. Knowledge is also supposed to end. So has knowledge passed away as well since the Bible has been completed? I, I don't think so. We're using our brains even right now. So here, here's another clue. Ephesians chapter 4, verse uh, 11 through 13 says this, speaking about prophets, speaking about ev evangelists, and really the fivefold ministry. And I think this is really important. Um, Paul says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, that's key, until... There is an ending point to these apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. It's until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and we become mature, this is key, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, Paul here says that we're going to have prophets, which means we're probably going to have prophecy, until the church attains to the whole measure of Christ in maturity and unity. I would put forth that some of us have just a little bit of a ways to go before that actually happens, right? So likely, here's my opinion, the completeness that 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about when prophecies will cease and the voice of God will cease in this age is referencing the completeness that will come when <clears throat> heaven collides with earth. Revelation chapters 21 and 22, when we're with our king and we can see him face to face, when we're there and we can actually hear his voice for ourselves in his presence. I think that's what he's referring to when he's talking about completeness. So yeah, I believe that God is still speaking. I believe that you can hear from God today. And I believe that he wants you to know his thoughts. Here's a few reasons why. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16, and I've already alluded to this before, says that we have the mind of Christ. It says, who could know the thoughts of God? But we have his mind. It's kind of an amazing passage, but what it means is that God um, intermingles his thoughts with ours, and the challenge for us is to discern what is from him and what isn't. And I think we do that in a community. It doesn't say that an individual has his mind, and so you need, if you want to know his mind, you got to go to this individual. It says, we as a body have the mind of Christ, able to discern what is from him and what isn't, certainly in conjunction with the scriptures. Um, but also, Psalm uh, 139, verse 17 through 18, David had access to God's thoughts, and here's what he says, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. God has a lot of thoughts. 
And lastly, John chapter 1 says that Jesus is the logos. In Greek, that means he's the word. I would just put this forth to you. Jesus has a lot to say, and he wants us to know what he's saying. God is always speaking. He's simply looking for a people who will actually listen to him. Making history with God is far less about the specific position you have culturally and how much influence you can have there, and it's far more about your ability to say, I'm gonna listen to you here. What do you have to say about this? What do you have to say about that? Now, another issue that gets raised almost any time prophecy is mentioned is this. What about the Old Testament prophets and those angry words? It's like, I read those guys, I'm not even sure that I want prophecy. <laughs> I'm not even sure that I want prophets. I hear a lot of people talking about prophecy like Old Testament prophets and looking to the Old Testament prophets within the Old Covenant to inform the way in which they think about prophecy today. People say, hey, look at the Old Covenant prophets. They spoke truth to power. They called wrath down on institutions. They spoke against the church and against the religious. So isn't that what prophets should be doing today? And if that is the case, do you really want prophecy in your gatherings? But is this still the case? Is this the way that prophecy is intended to work today? Well, I really think we need to consider two different truths. Firstly, this. How are we to speak to non-believers within a new covenant world so that they come to a knowledge of the truth. If we want every person to come to a knowledge of the truth, if we want every person to come to faith in Jesus, how do we use our language to do that within the new covenant? Well, you have to understand that a lot of Old Testament prophets are prophesying the wrath of God against the unrighteousness of the nations in hopes to use fear to bring the nations into alignment with a just God. Are we to do the same? Well, I think the question that we have to ask is this. What form is God's wrath taking these days? Is God's wrath the same today that we saw in the old covenant? Or if it's changed, how can we bring our language into alignment with uh, the way that God is treating the nations or the way that God is treating the unrighteous? Well, it's very clear in Romans chapter 1 that God's wrath actually has changed, that it's no longer an active wrath, if you will, of bringing punishment on people, needing God's people to, to stand outside of a strip club or outside of some place of sin and debauchery and speak against that place. In fact, it says in Romans 1, God is giving people over this language of if you're, you're free to do what you will, you're free to feel the consequences that may come. So the question is this. If that's how God treats unrighteousness, do we have the freedom, do we have the mandate to yell, to curse, to call down wrath on unrighteousness? I would argue no. I think that our job is to proclaim the day of the Lord's favor from Isaiah 61. It's a good place to start considering that it was the entire vision statement of Jesus' ministry here on earth. You remember the place where Jesus unrolls the scroll of Isaiah and he says, he proclaims the day of the Lord's favor, sight to the blind, release from the cap for the captives, freedom for the prisoner. And he says, this day is here. It's been fulfilled in your hearing. I think that we should bring ourselves into alignment and our prophecy should as well, considering that. Um, but secondly, we need to ask ourselves this question. How, do we, how should we speak to the religious? How should we speak to believers, people who are in Christ, washed in his blood? Um, are they the religious, religious people who need like a prophetic spanking? Well, let's think about this. 
are people who are in Christ under God's wrath against their sin. So people who are in Christ, maybe you, me, we sin. Do we need a prophet to come alongside us and to say, God is angry with you. He's upset with you. You know, you did this and he's, he, all of your ways, as I just read in Proverbs earlier today, all of your ways are before the Lord. So be careful. Do we need that? Well, according to, according to Romans 8 verse 1, uh, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which is a technical term for Paul. So I, I don't know that it's really my job to bring condemnation on somebody who God has said there's no condemnation for, right? Um, people who are in Christ are actually under righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that Jesus became sin so that we could become his righteousness. They're not only under righteousness, but they're also under grace. Romans 6.14 says this, for sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. Two truths because of this that we have to get right are these. God leads us from the glory of salvation to the greater glory of Christ-likeness through two means. Grace upon grace, remember John 1, verse 16, out of his fullness we've received grace upon grace. That's how he leads us from glory to glory. And kindness, Romans 2, 4. It says that it's God's kindness that leads us to change our minds. So how do we speak? How do we use our language over people who have those two realities that are true about them? Well, Paul instructs us like this. Look down at your Bibles, verse 2. For if anyone who speaks in a tongue does not, does not speak to people but to God, indeed no one understands them, they utter mysteries by the Spirit, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their encouraging, their strengthening, and their comfort. The goal of Old Testament prophecy was to show Israel the correct way to live through the severity of discipline. New Testament prophecy's goal is that we would find the treasure even amongst the mess of people's lives and we would call them to that. That's not who you are. This is what's possible in Christ. You're, you're, you're experiencing depression, anxiety. You're experiencing an incredible amount of fear, even it culturally current, with current events right now. Okay. Here's what's possible in Christ. Come to the one who's kind. Come to the one with the easy yoke. It doesn't take a prophet to point out what is wrong in someone's life. That's easy. Most people can look at their lives and know what's wrong in their life. But what it does take a prophet to do is to look at what could be in the life of another and to call out the gold, to call out the potential of that person. We live in a whole new world in a whole new covenant, and so our speech has to reflect that. The next question that I often get is this. Okay, Alex, I, I hear all of that, but what about false prophets? You ever read, you know, 2 Timothy? There's false prophets and it doesn't end good for false prophets, right? Um, the New Testament says there's going to be false prophets. So the question is this, is this, should there be no prophecy then? If there's false prophecy, should there be no prophecy? Well, what about false teachers? Because the New Testament says there's going to be false teachers in the end times. So should we have no teaching? The counterfeit of something shows just how valuable the real thing is. If Paul didn't want prophecy, then he would have said, watch out for prophets in general. But no, Paul says here clearly, all should prophesy. 
Now, another concern that's similar to this is this. Hey, look, false prophets got stoned in the, Old, in the Old Testament. I'm not really willing to take the risk, you know? What if I get it wrong? What if I, what if I give, like, a prophetic word and this person takes it to heart, but it's actually totally not prophetic at all, right? I think the key is how do you share prophecy? How do you share a thought in your mind that you think could be from God? I think the way that we need to share it is this. It's not, hey, thus saith the Lord, here's what's going to happen in your life, and here's the truth, and you know, yada, yada, yada. It's, I have an impression, or I have this image coming to mind, or I read this verse earlier today. Does that resonate with you? Is that something that God has actually already been speaking to you, or is that something that you can see him inviting you into? Because we're under grace, Paul says to us that we should judge the words of a prophet, not the prophet. The prophet's already been judged by Jesus' blood. As long as they're in Christ, they have Jesus' blood washed over them. There's no need to condemn them or stone them, okay? Um, our job is to look at the word that they've given to see if it lines up with Scripture, firstly. Is this, is this something that contradicts with the Scripture? If it is, toss that thing, flush it. But if it does line up with the Scripture, if it does strengthen, encourage, if it comforts, then it's our job to discern if we should hang on to that, if we should write it down, if we should mull it over, if it's, if it's something that we should actually treat as an invitation from God. Now, Another th question that I get is this. What if people are just making this stuff up? Like I had somebody give me a prophetic word and it was like, did you just like make that up? <laughs> well, my question to you is this. Was it encouraging? Was it strengthening? Was it comforting? If so, what's the problem? <laughs> we need to see just how prophetic an encouraging word can be. It is so rare in the world for people to encourage one another. It takes a really big person to actually go and encourage the people around them. And so I think it's actually prophetic when somebody does encourage someone, when somebody does invite somebody to step into the future that God potentially has for them. Now, lastly, here's the last question that we're gonna look at. What if I get a prophetic word Somebody comes up to me at church, shares it with me. Maybe you go for prayer at church and somebody gives you a prophetic word. What if I don't understand it? What if it doesn't make any sense? Have I just totally blown it? No way. A prophetic word is always an invitation. It's an invitation to discover more. Uh, just this last Sunday, there was a gal who raised her hand when um, Jake in the middle of worship had uh, felt like there was a direction we should go and, and he had people raise their hands if, if they needed prayer. And we started praying for this gal. And just right, as I'm praying for this gal, I'm always just asking God, like, is there anything you want to say? Anything you want to say? Okay, that's fine. Nothing. I'll just keep on praying. But sometimes there's something. And, and, I, and I sensed that God was just, I, I just had this passage come to mind. A gentle answer turns away wrath. I figure, what's the harm in sharing that? I share it with the gal. And she looked and I say, does that resonate? And she says, you have no idea how much that actually resonates with me. What happens after that point is up between her and God. The word to her is an invitation for her to now mold that over in relationship with a good father and to say, is there anything that I need to do from this word? Clearly, I think that word had to do with a specific relationship for her. And so now she has the opportunity to step in. She's invited to step into a new place to think differently about that situation in light of what God has spoken. So what I like to do is when somebody gives me a prophetic word, I like to write it down. I like to mull it over. I like to show it to my family and my friends who are full of the Holy Spirit and to ask, 
what do you think this could mean in my life? You know, does this resonate with you? Should it resonate with me? I'm not really seeing anything. Do you have any insight about this word as well? The scriptures are so clear, particularly in the parables of Jesus. What you value in the kingdom, you get more of. So if you want to be a person who attracts the thoughts of God, then you need to steward them, value them, write them down, record them, come back to them and think them over. Here's my hope for us as a church at Saints Hill. Here's what I'm hoping for. That as a family, we would understand that we have the enormous privilege to use our words to see heaven come through God's thoughts becoming the culture of a place. Can you imagine what Newburgh would look like if every day you were asking God for prophetic insight for people you were going to see that day and you were sharing that with them? Even if it was just so something encouraging that you already know to be true about them. I know this person is really intentional in conversation and they always listen to me. I'm going to share that with them. We, there was this gal that I used to work with at Bridgetown, Lizzie. I don't know, Lizzie, if you're ever going to see this, but here's the shout out. What Lizzie would say is she would say, I do not want an encouraging thought to come in my mind about someone that I don't express. I always want whatever is encouraging coming in my mind, I want to express that. I want to seed the world with that level of hope. Um, The challenge for every believer is to find out what God is saying about your, your child, about a friend, about a family member, or a stranger, and then to Okay, say, okay, God, you're seeing them from this angle. I've been looking from this angle, but I see that this is actually how you're seeing them. I'm going to come into alignment with you, and I'm going to position myself to say the same thing that you're saying about them in real time over them right now. You could be the encounter that somebody is waiting for. You could be the person that somebody needs to hear from. And their whole life they've been asking, if you're real God, show me. And he's actually going to use you to get into their life and to speak his words over them. All of this as a family boils down to this dynamic. And it's what I think we need to step into as a family. That we would be the people who live in response to God rather than reaction to everything that's going around us. That we would live in response to what he's saying rather than reacting at a breakneck pace to what this person said or this government policy is or this issue in culture becomes. God, what do you say about this? That is the difference between a prophetic life and just a normal average life. So many of us uh, have defined life as moving from, from one reaction to another. I got a raise. That's incredible. The reaction is, I'm going to spend more. I'm going to get a new budget. How about a vacation here? The car breaks down. I freak out. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll never be able to fix this. I'm I'm like, you know, thinking about, oh, I'm going to have to get bus tickets. I'm going to start riding public transportation or, or whatever it is. We're just reacting. Or, or maybe you've been there where somebody who you love deeply has disagreed with you politically. There's fury, there's hurt. I'm just reacting to this person in front of me. What is that? It is constantly ping-ponging between events, between takes from other people about what's going on, what reality really is, and what it reveals is who your God is. If you're constantly reacting to this thing or that thing or this opinion, you are revealing what you believe is most consequential in life. 
And so really think about it. If you're reacting to anything that isn't God, well, then you know what your God has become. It's become this, you know, it's become uh, this issue culturally or this voice politically or, or whatever, this boss and what they did there or this spouse and what they, what they didn't do there and what you wish they did there. This kid and their tantrums. So everything in your life now revolves around reacting to the mood or, you know, the, the, the um, lack of sleep that your child has or, or whatever it is, rather than responding and saying, okay, God, what do you say about this circumstance? Reaction, and this is so key, reaction is what got Adam and Eve into trouble, isn't it? They reacted to the enemy without looking for a response from their father. Response is what could have been the solution to Genesis chapter three. What do you, God, think about this snake? What do you, God, think about the suggestion that we just heard? And so we have the opportunity as followers of Jesus today to actually walk in the cool of the day, every day with God, and to say, what do you think about this situation? Give me your insight into this. This is the lifestyle that gives people around us a taste of heaven wherever we go, a taste of the life that is really life. And you just watch as you begin to give these insights using the wisdom of God rather than just the wisdom of man, just watch how quickly people around you begin to go, where'd you get that? How did you know that? And just watch how heaven comes wherever you go. So a few things that I think we need to step into, create space to listen every day. Just this morning, I, was, I, I got alone with God and I just began to say, God, what do you think about my wife? I know my wife quite well. We've been married for almost six years. Uh, I know a lot of things about her, but I want to still know what perspective are you seeing her from? Maybe just practice that. Ask God what he thinks about the people around you. Ask God what he thinks about your coworker that's frustrating or the coworker that you love or the family member or the child. Ask him what he thinks and then actually spend some time. Take 10, 15 minutes just to listen and just to write down whatever comes to mind. I believe that God has made you, all of you, and he intends to use what he's made. So sometimes the prophetic happens in your imagination. You'll have, you'll, you'll, uh, have a phrase come to mind, or you'll see sometimes like a short film in your mind, including a person that you need to talk with. Um, maybe, maybe you'll have just kind of a gut feeling, like, I feel like I need to reach out to this person and just share this thing that I've been reading about in the scriptures. Pay attention to those things um, and share them in faith. Because my identity is settled and it isn't dependent upon my ability to prophesy good prophecies, I'm freed up to then risk in faith for the potential, just to see the potential that the kingdom could come through me and through my language. Um, so, so here's what I want to lead us in as a church. I want you to right now to just close your eyes, maybe clear your Bible off your journal, your phone, whatever else. And I just want to lead you in asking yourself a couple of questions. So as you're sitting there, I, I want you to just ask yourself this question. Where have I been reacting? Even right now, God, we just invite you, Holy Spirit, come and reveal to us where we've been reacting. Um, where we've been just kind of ping-ponging back and forth, just doing our best to live off the wisdom of accumulated experience of man. And we just ask, God, where have we been reacting? Just take a moment, and I want you to think about that. There may be a memory of something. There may be um, just kind of a, a, a situation come to mind that could be from work. It could be from your home. It could be in a relationship. Where have we been just reacting to people, God? 
And now we just want to transition a little bit with that in mind. And we want to just say, God, what would you like us to respond to? So even right now, take that situation, take that circumstance or that person that's on your mind and just bring them before God. God, we bring these people, we bring these circumstances before you and we just say, how would you like me to respond to you in this situation? Take a moment and just ask, is there anything you want to say? Is there anything, uh, insight that you want to give me about this person, about this circumstance? God, I want to live a prophetic life. I want to live a life where I'm that bridge between heaven and earth, where I actually get to hear the thoughts of heaven and then seed the world with that hope. So if God has spoken anything to you, why don't you go ahead and just take, take a moment, grab that journal again or your phone. Why don't you write that down, even right now? Write that down and uh, make a commitment that you're actually going to not let an encouraging thought exist in here that you do not express out of your mouth. We want to be a church that prophesies, as Paul says, that all should prophesy. And I think this is the start of us doing that. Now, um, we have a uh, discussion uh, document um, and an activation document that you should have there with you. If you don't have it, I believe it's on our website at our Home Sundays um, page that uh, Bria has so awesomely put together for us. And uh, so there's a couple questions for you to discuss there. And then there's a little activation. We're going to actually prophesy over one another this evening. I want you guys eventually to get into groups of three to ask God what he may be saying about that per we'll just go one person at a time about that person and then the two others in the group, you have an opportunity to just be quiet, to listen, to see if there's maybe a verse, a picture, an image. Uh, it could make no sense. In fact, the other night I was, uh, I was praying for, for one of my friends at the church and all I had was just a giant red gummy bear come to mind and it actually ended up connecting and it was awesome. So you just never know what could happen. Share in faith. And if it doesn't resonate, no big deal. Just the other day, I was uh, speaking at this church, and I came up before my talk. I had a couple prophetic words I was going to try out, and I tried them out. Only one of them landed. The other ones are like, that doesn't resonate. It's no big deal. Just move on. We're just, you know, I, I, it's so cliche, but you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. It's the same thing in prophecy. It's like, we're just going to take shots because... God could be speaking in this moment and it could get people free. Let me pray for you guys and then enjoy that discussion. Enjoy giving the gift of prophecy to one another. God, thanks so much for the opportunity to meet together in homes, uh, even the midst, in the midst of cultural, uh, cultural craziness. Um, God, we are people of peace because we're people connected to the Prince of Peace. So thank you so much for your presence. We do pray for our friends and family, uh, those who may be sick with the virus, and we just say healing in Jesus' name, healing in Jesus' name, that Newburgh would be known as a place of healing. It would be difficult to get sick in Newburgh. God, we look towards that day, and we just call that reality down into the present and just say, God, heal now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, enjoy your evening, and we'll see you later.